I'm proud. I've, I was already proud of the accomplishment of graduating. Putting black in front of it is something that I've now fully accepted. But I do think that it's important that people hear me say that I've never wanted to be known as a black dancer. Yeah. I've always wanted to be known as, as a dancer, an artist, and Gabe Stone Shayer. Um, so hopefully that will be the catalyst, that sentence will be the catalyst for change moving forward. And people who come in behind me can be known by their name and not by their skin tone. balance ballerinas I hope you've had an amazing week I hope you're kicking goals I hope you're taking class in whatever way that looks at the moment whether it's via zoom or whether it's in the studio still take class take care of your physical and mental health remember that a ballet class usually fixes both of these things simultaneously so just keep doing what you love as you'll hear my voice is still a little under the weather I'll be honest I don't actually know what is going on at the moment. Having some tests, not COVID related, don't worry. But today's guest did say that he liked the husky tone and uh, I tend to agree with him. Unfortunately though, it's not my real voice <laughs> and something is going on, so um, I'll keep you updated. Anyway, if you haven't already, head on over to the private Facebook group titled Secret Balance Ballerinas Facebook group so you can connect with like-minded people within this amazing community. Or if Instagram is more your style, head to at Balance Ballerinas for more BB content. I love connecting with you all, so never be afraid to reach out. I'm also sharing a couple of listener voicemails in the next episode. So if you fancy, send one through to hello at balanceballerinas.com. I absolutely love getting voice memos from you. It's my favorite. Now... I am beyond excited to share today's guest. In fact, this episode wasn't supposed to air for another couple of months as I often record my episodes with guests way ahead of time and schedule them so I don't miss a beat. However, this one is too good not to share straight away. It was an honor to have a conversation with the one and only Gabe Stone Shayer. He's more than a soloist with American Ballet Theater. He's a creative, a producer, a choreographer, a fashionista, a pioneer, an advocate, and of course, an artist. There's so much more than meets the eye when it comes to Gabe. I spoke to him only a few days ago whilst he takes up an artist residency in the Cayman Islands. I know, tough work, hey. <laughs> However, Gabe is usually a New York City native due to his title at ABT and passion for fashion, which has him working with some of the world's top designers, including a recent collaboration with Chanel. Gabe is the first and only African-American to graduate from the prestigious Bolshoi Ballet Academy. And now, as one of the only black soloists in ABT, I asked him how it feels to be known as the first or the only instead of just an artist. I think some of his answers will surprise you. And I'd really like to thank Gabe from the bottom of my heart for just being so open and honest in his answers. Gabe has performed for many dignitaries, including the President of Slovakia and US President Joe Biden on the vice presidential visit in Moscow, Russia. 
and he's a regular dance partner of the remarkable Misty Copeland. Yes, you all know I'm obsessed with Misty, so I did ask Gabe what she's like. I had to. I'm pretty sure my voice changed an octave as I fangirled during this part of the conversation. So enjoy that. During a time when many dancers are, I guess, untethered by the bar and able to explore other creative pursuits, Gabe has wasted no time whatsoever. Recognised by the New York Trust Community Fund, he received the Levinson Arts Achievement Award and was granted 50K for his recent projects titled Creative Genesis, Part Deux, which is an amazing four-part docuseries, supported by Chanel, of course, and featuring the one and only Alicia Keys. It is incredible that Gabe's first time being a producer and director on a documentary and he gets Alicia Keys. It's incredible. He also used this towards his Ghana project where he instructed ballet students and teachers in Ghana via Zoom and this created scholarships through ABT. Like I said, it's an absolute honour to have the opportunity to share Gabe's story and flow from heavier and such important conversations about diversity in ballet to chat about fashion and art and Chanel pearls. Watching Gabe collaborate and incorporate his style, masculinity and choreographic voice into his brand and projects is like watching a young man step into his own. What a gift to speak to Gabe on the precipice of authentically inserting himself into the world of dance. If you enjoy this episode, please make sure you tell a friend or take a screenshot to share on social media. A little bit of love goes a long way and it really inspires me to continue having and sharing these conversations with you all. Gabe Stoneshare, welcome to the Balanced Ballerinas podcast. It is an absolute honour to host you. Thank you. It's an honour to be here. We should set the scene for the listeners a little bit and describe where you are right now. Yes. Okay. Well, I am uh, on on or in the Cayman Islands um, doing an artist residency um, for the next six weeks. Six weeks. That's amazing. And so what does an artist residency involve for those that don't know? So I've, I've been to a few and it kind of varies depending on um, what they're asking of you. Um, here, they're just asking me to kind of create um, specific work inspired by the geography and the culture here, which of course the geography is beach and gorgeousness, um, but I'm, I can't leave my room for the next two weeks because they're, they have very strict quarantine rules here, which is great. Um, so I won't really be in, in the culture until uh, for another two weeks. Um, but yeah, so I've, I've been dancing on my balcony for the past few hours and um, trying to find my rhythm next to the waves, if you will. Yeah, look, I don't feel too sorry for you because judging by the photo you posted on the balcony and have they rolled out some target for you? Yes. It, yeah. it looks amazing. It's like every dancer's dream come true. So sorry, Gabe, I don't feel sorry for you. <laughs> <laughs> I think you'll survive quarantine. <laughs> I'll be fine. Yeah, I know. I'm like, I'm in two weeks of quarantine. I have to look at the beach every day. 
I know, and get delivered burgers and, you know, uh, just have a, so have a great time. So yeah. hard, so hard. <laughs> well, I like to start um, with my guests sort of at the beginning. Um, how old were you when you started dance? And did you start with ballet or was or did you start with a different genre? So I started, I always say I started when I came out of the womb, which is kind of true, <laughs> but um, I started moving when I was three um, I always tell the story, a quick version is my grandmother was from Ghana. She used to speak her language on the phone and I used to kind of dance to the rhythm of her speaking. Um, I That's think adorable. Around, yeah, around the same age, I, I started doing mommy and me classes and the creative movement, all the things for toddlers or babies and toddlers. And uh, I think I formally started dancing when I was six. Um, and at that point, I was doing a lot more ballet, but kind of doing everything, um, jazz and modern. Um, and then it wasn't until I was probably eight that I started really, really focusing on ballet um, as a trajectory. Yeah. And did you fall in love with ballet straight away? I did. Yeah, yeah. I fell in love with it. I mean, I, as everyone has seen the Nutcracker, I saw the Nutcracker um, in my prospective city, Philadelphia. And then one of the biggest defining moments was, was seeing the Bolshoi Ballet when they came to Philadelphia and performed Spartacus. Um, I think it was, you know, this grandiose music, virtuosic dancing, um, the passion of the, of the Russian dancers and specifically the Bolshoi um, all hit me simultaneously and and um I saw myself um I was moved I was I felt everything that you want to feel when you're seeing um what's considered high art and and perfection um if it's attainable yeah they're next level and so I guess was that your inspiration from Philly to your journey to Russia I mean it's pretty crazy what was that what was the the reasoning behind going to Russia. You didn't know well, Russian. <laughs> yeah, no, I did not at the at that time. But I had had Russian teachers my entire uh, training since I until I went to Russia. So um, I was already pretty Baganova trained um, in terms of syllabus, and then and I went to the Rock School as well and had teachers from all over the world. Um, but I felt very tied to the Russian training system. So it was only, um, it felt correct to go to Russia. Um, I did the summer intensive, the Bolshevik Ballet summer intensive. The teachers came over, the director came over to New York um, and invited me to come to the academy and I could not say no. So that's how I got wow. there. Yeah. Wow. And how long were you training there for? So I was there for uh, two and a half years. It kind of, it's weird because the first time I went, um, I was still going to the rock school and then I went there for uh, a few months. And then the following year I went for a full year and then I went back again and then moved to America when I was 16 and a half. Um, yeah. So what was it like learning? How did you learn Russian? Did you just pick it up in class or with friends or did you actually get some lessons? <laughs> All of the above. All of the above. Um, I, yeah, yeah. I had, um, there were academic classes, of course, but then they had um, Russian, I guess it's Russian as a second language um, for any of the foreigners. And 
I started going to those, but they were uh, early in the morning. And so after a while, um, it was cutting into my, my warm up time because I used to like stretch for like two and a half to three hours <laughs> before going into class. Um, so after I started getting a basic understanding of the, the language itself, I, I stopped going and learned from my peers. How did, um, I've heard in a, a previous interview that you've done that Carlos Acosta inspired your move to, to Europe and European training style. Um, can you speak a little bit more about that? Yeah, and it's actually, it's funny because it's more of a, a, a retrospective thought um, yeah. and memory because, you know, now talking about um, blackness and ballet in general all over the world, um, it kind of was like a flash of, oh, that was the reason why I never saw myself dancing in America. Um, you know, I, I remember people comparing me to him in terms of, you know, look, not necessarily dancing. Um, and seeing that he was succeeding and he was doing all of the roles that I wanted to do. Um, mm -hmm. So it felt only natural to try to go there. And it's funny because even there's an interview of me in Russia um, when I was graduating. Um, and I say pretty clearly, um, you know, I would love to dance here at Bolshoi, but if I don't get in here, I'm going to go to Covent Garden and dance at Royal Ballet. So, um, yeah, it was definitely, I think, to do with race mainly. Um, it, was, it, it really wasn't until I graduated from the Bolshoi um, that I even considered coming back to America. Yeah. Um, it's, yeah. Prob it's probably Sorry. a good, oh, you're right. No, no, it's probably a good lead into the next question, which was, was I, I want to know how you feel about, you know, being the first and only African-American to have graduated from the Bolshoi Ballet Academy. Like, how does that, how does that feel? I mean, similarly, it, it was a retrospective kind of, uh, acknowledgement of that accomplishment. I, it felt like an accomplishment by itself um, that I graduated as a person. Yeah. And it wasn't until later on that I felt that I had to, and I should highlight that as, as an accomplishment as a black male, um, because I reluctantly was realizing that it wasn't the ballet world that I'm living in, in America and, and kind of in general, isn't so accommodating to black people and that I am just by osmosis, I am hopefully a, a beacon for people to look at as someone who has accomplished something. And so to show people that it was possible for me to do that as a black male is important now. So yes. Mm. Yeah, I think it's super important, but at times it must feel like a little bit like a weight on your shoulders perhaps, or, or are you flying that flag really proudly and it feels lighter i yeah i'm just curious it yeah it's a there's a middle ground there it's it's um i'm proud i've i was already proud of the accomplishment of graduating putting black in front of it is something that i've now fully accepted but i do think that it's important that people hear me say that i've never wanted to be known as a black dancer yeah. i've always wanted to be known as as a dancer, an artist, and Gabe Stone Share. Um, so hopefully that will be the catalyst, that sentence will be the catalyst for change moving forward. And people who come in behind me can be known by their name and not by their skin tone.
definitely. I think um, I think you putting in the work is going to pave the way for so many younger dancers in your shoes. Um, I just think it's it's um, incredible. So. Yeah, I, I agree. It would be so nice. And that's why I asked, does it sometimes feel heavy? Because it must just be nice to just be an artist. And I mean, graduating from the Bolshoi Ballet Academy in itself is incredible. So it just adds a whole nother layer. So yeah, no, I, I, I agree with you. It would be really nice if we could do that. But um, talking about, um, I wanted to talk about confusing critics and I guess um, the disconnect between being featured in contemporary and neoclassical pieces, but not being promoted in your career um, and having a, a confusing time about that when you joined ABT. Do you mind sharing some thoughts about that? Yeah, I mean, so it's pretty wide known that I was featured very early in my career when I joined ABT. First, of course, in some of the neoclassical and um, again, not, never seeing it as lesser, but realizing that we most people join classical ballet companies to be a classical ballet dancer and so i was super excited to be featured in anything of course i was a core member it was my first year um to start learning stuff and then the second year to be performing as a principal dancer um third pass for ivan vasiliev and daniel simkin in whatever i was like great like sign me up i'm doing it but it was it was strange the disconnect between how much I had I was dancing and doing and and succeeding at and continuously being given more and more so translation feeling feeling and seemingly like this is you're progressing you're doing better because we're just adding on we're not taking it away from you you're not doing less that I would have been promoted because I was doing more than some of the soloists at some point and then there was a crossover as well where I started doing more classical roles and um that was even more confusing um i guess when it, as it pertains to what you said about uh neoclassical roles versus classical roles there might be some weird bias there saying thinking that uh contemporary roles are lesser than the classical roles um in which case it makes sense that i was doing a lot and not being promoted um, if that is how the director sees it. Um, however, there was a huge turning point when I was doing more classical ballet roles in soloist positions than half of the soloists, mm -hmm. as well as contemporary roles, as well as a few principal roles and still not being promoted. So that, yeah, it was pretty clearly not just that. Very frustrating. I can only imagine. <laughs> um, I recently watched uh, this clip on YouTube about, um, oh, I can't actually, sorry, I can't remember his name. He's a, a photographer. And you invited him into the studio to take some photos. And he did like a little story. Yeah, yes. And he did um, a little story about um, the fact that you uh, were never cast as a prince. And so when he hooked you up with this tailor and he, he was like, we're going to turn him into a king. Like, <laughs> I just love that story. And I love that it's like, let's just bypass the whole prince thing. Let's make Gabe a king. Can you share that little story about the Yeah, you know, it's, the it's funny because 
so what happened was I'd worked with this phot photographer on something else that some other, some producer invited me and then he was the photographer and we linked up. Um, but then, yeah, I struggled with being seen in a certain way. Um, I did some classical roles, but then I was like, I'd always say like, oh, like, can I learn this princely role? And, and it got to the point where I was like, not that, again, Nutcracker is lesser, but it kind of sometimes it's very thrown together, especially at ABT. So yeah. I was kind of like, hey, like, I know a lot of dancers don't want to do this version. Can I do it? Like, I'm here wanting to do it. And uh, I got the comment, we, we're going to give it to someone who looks more the part. And oh. that kind of just was a big stab in my everything. Um, and so as I kind of gained more um, outspokenness and more uh, confidence within presenting myself as who I am and who I believe that I am, um, I, through my fake agent, um, my, my pseudonym, um, I reached out to Dapper Dan, who is, and his crew, who is the father of hip hop fashion um, in America, and got an appointment and essentially went in and I was like, hi, like, I want to do this thing. I want to, like, be dressed up for this gala. Will you make something for me? Um, and here's my story. I told him the story. I yeah. wasn't half friends. They keep saying this, these weird things to me that essentially mean you're too black to be in ballet. And he was like, you know what? No, you're not going to look like a prince. I'm going to make you look like a king. And then he made this amazing robe for me that embodied everything that he said and, and really felt like me. I love that so much. And the robe is incredible. I mean, it's got like the bees embroidered into it. And the uh, do you, like, did you get to keep it like it's yours? in the closet right there it's in the closet <laughs> i brought it to the game and island <laughs> i'm planning okay. on doing a video we'll see what it turns into i was gonna say we need to see with that beautiful backdrop of the ocean you in your your gown yes. definitely definitely i um i wanted to know what it felt like when you were finally promoted to soloist with abt what did that moment feel like to, to, where were you how how did it come about how did it happen well, <laughs> What the media probably doesn't know is that it happened months and months and months before it was actually announced. Um, it didn't feel good. <laughs> it no. felt, no, it felt more like a, I don't know, it just felt like kind of a, a pat on the head, um, mm. like feeding of a carrot, like, oh, here's a little thing. Um, and it came at a weird time too, you know, given, given the circumstances we were in during the pandemic, um, I was, I mean, I don't know. I was, I, I didn't like hearing it in the way that I heard it. I didn't like that it was given to me, um, kind of out of nowhere and, and not, I don't know. I'd been passed over so many times that I was desensitized to the surprise of, of being promoted. And I also asked for it too. It wasn't, it wasn't bestowed upon me. I essentially lobbied for myself and I was like, this has been very, very unacceptable. 
this treatment of me and I was given this platform now because now they care about black people. And I said, yeah. either you promote me in the next few weeks or I quit and I got promoted. So then it didn't come until later in the media. And uh, that was a bit better because I already knew it was happening, but I was with friends. Um, that was during my, my bubble project um, with the nonprofit that I created. And I was with a lot of my colleagues and that was nice to share that with them. But, you know, if I'm allowed to say it this way um, with, with no arrogance or superiority or anything, I deserve more. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I agree. And um, thank you for being so honest in your answer there, because, yeah, you could have just said, oh, it felt really good and I was well-deserved and, and moved on, but you gave me a really honest answer, which a lot of people in the ballet world don't do because they are so afraid of the directors, the artistic staff, you know, and, and I take my hat off to you for being so open and honest because, the amount of times, Gabe, I'll admit, when I've been interviewing people and when the microphones and the recording is switched off and then they delve deeper into their story and share an answer like that, and I'm like, and it's not recorded. And the young yeah. dancers and the parents of dancers and the dance community that listen um, to this podcast then don't get to hear, I guess, the real story. So I, I really appreciate that answer. Thank you. Yeah, I mean, it's also just quickly, it's, it's also because we're in specifically because we're in this time where we're it's it's almost as if this is like the break of communism and all the dictators are being shown for what they really are um and now is the time to talk now is the time when we are we are calling for social justice not just for black people but in general um questioning our practices and it's the time to expose reality so that's why I feel like I should do it. <laughs> no, I, I, the, the truth's always the way to go, isn't it, really, at the end of yeah. the day? Now, I wanted to move into um, some of your passion projects that you've been working on with great success at the moment. Um, it's, a, it's a strange time. Like if someone's listening to this in like five years' time, you know, we're going through COVID. Lots of dancers are super untethered to the bar at the moment. And so you can pursue these creative pursuits that you couldn't before because you had such um, rigorous schedules. So first of all, I wanted to ask, um, what did it mean to you when you were recognised by the UNO York, <laughs> New York Trust Community Fund. Still very early here. <laughs> yeah. No, I, I feel you. Um, I don't. It's like five. Um, it was. <laughs> <laughs> it was really, really amazing. Um, it was. I mean, it was such an honor. I. I didn't believe it at first, <laughs> um, because prior to that, I'd been. I did a lot of crowdfunding for my for the project um, that I won the award for. Um, and I had been catfished by fake sponsor people. So oh, no. when I got this, yeah, nothing bad happened, but like okay. I got catfished, <laughs> thankfully. Um, but I got this call or I got an email and it said, um, hi, like we're from this, this and this. Um, I'm this person. So you've won, we're so excited to announce you've won $50,000 for this and I was like no that didn't happen so then I called the number and then I like checked sources I like name checked I did research and and then finally found out that it was real and I was 
I don't know. It was just, it was such an amazing thing to get, especially when, um, you know, in, in other places when I presented uh, my choreography or asked if I could choreograph, um, I was met with um, a different feeling. Um, yeah, it was a nice acknowledgement. It was a really nice acknowledgement. Yeah, no, definitely. I thought I thought you might have felt a little bit better about that one because <laughs> it's yeah, sort no, of that on, felt on your own merit. Was, it felt, yeah, yeah, it felt like it felt genuine and it, it felt like I, I worked for it, um, but it was still surprising. So it was very, I didn't ask yeah. for it. I didn't put in for it. So it was just like, you didn't have to beg for it. Yeah, I didn't have to beg for it, which was new for me. <laughs> well, and so with that $50,000 you received, is that the money that was used um, to do the ballet bubble for, for your creative No, the ballet, bubble happened, the ballet bubble happened before. That was the ah. one that I crowdfunded for. And the $50,000 was uh, due to someone watching that and they liked my choreography um, and what I was doing with... I mean, I, honestly, that bubble was one of the first... was the first bubble including a involving abt dancers um there wasn't anything like that before besides you know there's cats band or people dancing in different places but abt kind of based their model which i don't know if they would say off of my bubble so yeah, yeah. can you describe for the listeners what the ballet bubble was yes so essentially i mean i think people probably now are seeing a lot of this but um i put in very strict protocol to quarantine um, I think it was 10 dancers um, to go out to a location and choreograph a new piece yeah. and, and work together maskless and safe because we'd done the, the testing and the, and the whole shebang to make sure everyone was clean. Um, and it was in a remote beach town that I used to go to as a, as a young kid. So I knew it very well. There was a big foundation, um, gallery space that we used and we got marley and sprung floor brought in so that we would have um, a real place to dance and then uh we put on a performance at the end where the audience was seated um outside because there were big windows outside facing yeah. in um, and the audience watched from outside um through the looking glass if you will how did that feel performing to an audience behind glass it, so actually, I didn't perform, which was strange. I, I just choreographed, but it was actually kind of magical, um, if I could say so, um, in the sense that it, we were maskless, they were wearing masks, but we were very close in proximity. And something that was very cool about it was it, it was a different type of performance art because it took away sound and took away breath not that it's i love hearing that and, and feeling the real energy but it was there's something about being that close in proximity and seeing people actually move but not hearing their feet and hearing this music and also hearing crickets and like the the ocean waves and it was it was a really cool thing yeah when i read about the project i was like oh I didn't even think about that, that you wouldn't be able to hear that breath or the like pitter-patter on the floor or, or yeah, it was, it would have been super interesting. Um, and so then 
Um, something you've been working on is the part of the docu- documentary series. Could you describe to the listeners? I absolutely love it, by the way. Um, were you just dying when you were on Zoom with Alicia Keys? <laughs> yes, yes. Um, so the short of it, of the whole project is uh, I had this idea to have a start up, do a web series, um, have one half of each, there was going to be four episodes uh, with two collaborating artists. One half of each collaboration was going to be a dancer. And then I wanted to bring artists in from different mediums. So there's Isabella Boylson with Marcus Samuelson, the famous chef, Cassie Trenary with uh, Kathleen Sullivan, who's works in virtual reality and, and other amazing technological things that I can't explain. Um, and then uh, Luciana Paris, the soloist with, um, Chloe Wise, a, a visual artist who's also just so amazing. And then I was in an episode with Alicia Keys. And so at the end of each episode, they had to come up with some sort of collaborative work, um, whether it be art or teaching each other something. And um, it, was, it was so amazing because it was during COVID. We were doing it over Zoom. It was kind of one of those first real things that were happening was happening like that. We sent everyone high-grade cameras. It was a whole ordeal production thing. Like, they had to set it up themselves. I was on Zoom with, like, cameramen, like, talking them through all the buttons and, like... Uh, uh, Beautifully shot. Yeah, it was, it, was, it was difficult, but it was really cool. Um, and then, yes, of course, the Alicia part. I, I remember it, everything was theoretical until the moment that I sat in front of the computer because I was wearing so many hats for it. I was, I'm on, I'm listed as a creative director, but I also ended up being the cameraman. Um, I also ended up being the director. I also ended up being all these other things. The talent. Um, the talent. I ended up, I was, it was awesome because there was a turning point when things were getting slightly looser that I went in person to one of the shoots um, with Marcus Samuelson. And I got to like be there and I like, literally directed the cameraman which i'd never done so it was like imposter syndrome but in the best way i was like learning and doing and it was really it was so so cool so then you know i was like you know checking off the list like great we got this talent down like we finished this episode okay we pulled in martha samuelson okay alicia keys is coming up next with gabe which is me great so that's happening and then i sit down and I'm like, great. So like, we're about to do this. I have my Chanel on. Alicia's about to come on. I'm like calling the, the other producer who's like doing this thing. And then I'm like, oh, now, now it's me. Now I'm, oh, I'm about to meet Alicia Keys. This is, oh my God. So then my heart sunk and then it comes on and there's Alicia. And I'm like, hi. <laughs> uh, and she's like, hey, Gabe. And I'm like, oh my God, she knows my name. And then after the initial shock um I was like okay put on the other hat you're driving this right now this is your project talk so I talked and I was like I don't know what I asked first it felt semi-generic but I wanted it to be authentic to myself so I really had to think and I was like how do you manifest a song and then we just went and after that it was like talking to um I don't know, Buddha, <laughs> but, but also a friend. Um, it felt like we could have a really authentic conversation um, where after the initial question that kind of broke the ice, um, we were just talking about identity and, and 
I didn't shape the episode before. I didn't shape any of the episodes before. I kind of just, we kind of just went. Um, besides the inter, uh, the individual interviews where people are just talking about their life story and, and meeting the person, whenever people got on camera, I gave them nothing. And I didn't want them to look anything up about each other. I wanted them to meet as if they met in a bar. And that's kind of how we did it with Alicia. Besides the fact that I know that she's a Grammy award-winning, amazing songwriter, and I used to dance to her music. So besides all that, it felt very authentic. She's as down to earth as her image, if not 10 times more human and, and um, amazing. So yeah, it was amazing. Well, you looked very cool. Oh, no, no. I was going to say you looked very cool, calm and collected sitting there in your like Chanel jacket and pearls. And and the only time where I was like, oh, my God, he's dying was at the end when you like finished the Zoom meeting and then you just like leant back and you're like, oh, my God. Like and you could tell in your face, you're just like, what just happened? Like, what is this life? Yeah. Yeah. It just was not. I just couldn't. I couldn't compute like. It was, again, like, I was in it, and I was in this whirlwind, and then, like, I'm like, bye, Alicia, keys, and then, like, we click off, and I'm like, did anyone see that? Like, I, that was crazy. <laughs> yeah. That's and I was so tired. <laughs> Speaking of Chanel, though, how did they get on board? I mean, very so, cool, Gabe. Very cool. Very posh. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. I love, I love. I mean, I love fashion. I love Chanel. Um, one of the original ideas uh, at the table, if you will, was to have one of the collaborations be with a fashion brand or a designer. Um, and while searching through um, one of my contacts, who is also one of the executive director at ABT's contacts, is Yana Peel, who works for Chanel, um, has a very big title that is too many words for me to remember right now. Um, <laughs> but has a very important title there. And she also comes to the ballet and I think she um, contributes sometimes. And Yeah, she's the so, International Arts and Culture Director. There you go. Yes. Thank you. Oh, good. Okay, yes. She's the International Arts and Culture Director. Wow, I remember. <laughs> um, and yeah, and so she loved the sound of the project and she's like, actually, we would love to underwrite this and so we took out the element of the fashion uh, designer and just made everyone wear Chanel, which I was like, I'm all for this. Let's do this. Um, and yeah, it was great. Yeah, I loved um, Isabella Boyson's earrings. She had the most beautiful Chanel earrings on. I was looking going, oh, like having a quick Google search. Where can I find these? <laughs> Maybe Where's on like a secondhand these? website. <laughs> exactly. I was like secretly, I was like taking pictures and all this stuff because I was like, Maybe they're going to be like, it looks so good on you. Keep it. No. And like, no. Oh, you had to send it back. Send it all back, which was the no. saddest day. So, Isab like, so did Isabella have to send those earrings back? Yes. Yes. Oh, okay. You know what? That makes me feel better. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, for sure. It yeah. does. That, that makes me feel better. Well, speaking of speaking of fashion, I wanted to I wanted to talk uh, and sort of finish our interview on on that note. I mean, your style is so unique, and I absolutely love you rocking a set of pearls. Like, so it just looks so chic. And yeah. um, and I wanted you to talk a little bit about your style. And I must admit, as I was sort of researching for our um, conversation. I notice that even just if you scroll through your Instagram, 
it's a it's a visual interpretation of you coming into your own and i just feel like you've changed so much you've self described it as coming into your blackness and part of the part of the documentary with alicia keys is is you going and having your hair changed can you describe what you know i'm surely not making this up you just look more you and you look so comfortable in your skin so do you want to have a yeah. word about that for sure i feel like there was a few turning points um whether it be in my career or life where i was kind of like why am i apologizing for being myself um and i think that was a big thing with um blackness and just the way that i dress and um defining what masculinity and femininity really means to people, um, identity in general. And I felt that, you know, I mean, one, the way that I grew up was very different, um, too long to explain everything, but my mom, besides being a psychologist and having a PhD, she also went to art school. So she lived 10 million lives. I don't understand how it all fit in, but she did. And um, she also was, in the gem and mineral um, world, um, as well as being in a uh, stone carver. So we have rocks, minerals and stones and shells and things all over our house to the point wow. where one of either it was my older brother or, young, or me, um, when we came back from one of our first play dates, my mom asked, I'm just gonna make it me. My mom asked, um, like, how was it? Like, did you have fun? Like on your first like play day? And, she, and I replied, yeah, but they didn't have any rocks because literally I don't, I mean, like people are like, oh, you had like trinkets. I'm like, no, I had full geodes and full like, like raw cut, like crystals, like everywhere. It was crazy. It's yeah. still there. Um, so that being said, my mom was always wearing jewelry and wearing stones and chains. And, and so I adopted that into my own style and I really love it, but it's seen as feminine, um, quote unquote. And so, you know, I have just realized or, or came to that I define who Gabe is and uh, that is a reflection, what you're seeing and what, what comes out in these articles and, and what I'm wearing is, is very much a reflection of who original Gabe was and and who he's flourishing into. I hate yeah. talking in third person. Who I am turning into <laughs> myself. Oh, I think sometimes it's important for artists to look at themselves in third person because then you can manipulate and create and yeah, no, so yeah. super common. The artist formerly known as Gabe. Um, yep. <laughs> no, I won't. This is like this is the new Gabe. I um I have to ask. I have um, a confession to make, Gabe. Misty Copeland is my favorite ballerina in the entire world. I saw her perform and um, in when ABT came out to Australia in Brisbane, and yeah. I almost died. So I just have to ask, what is she like? What is she like to partner with? Is yeah, she as cool as I think she is? <laughs> probably cooler because. I think, you know, just like all of us um, who have to kind of now be put ourselves on this pedestal and be this beacon or be this thing, 
um, it gets bigger than all of us. And and as much as she is all of that and more of the queen, um, she's also just so down to earth and friendly and cool to the point that you just, I mean, she she can say the funniest things and you're just like, wait, like, aren't weren't you just like at a gala with Beyonce, like, like twirling on a piano with Prince and now we're just like shooting the shit and just like having fun at a <laughs> dive bar on the Upper West Side? Like, what is this? So yeah, no, she's, she's everything and more, yeah. Oh, awesome. Now I always ask my guests, uh, Gabe, their number one tip for leading a balanced life, being the Balanced Ballerinas podcast. And I always say that balance can mean something different to everybody. My version of balanced is not the same as the person next to me. So it can mean anything to you. And um, it can be as simple as drinking a cup of tea in the morning, or it can be as philosophical answer as you want. (laughs) I mean, I usually lean towards philosophical just because that's how I talk. I can't ever say anything just straightforward. Um, But I guess uh, to live a balanced lifestyle for me means to find what really makes me happy. Um, and that can be a cup of coffee in the morning. That can be um, understanding what's good for me when I need to take a break, when I need to step back and look at Gabe in the third person and reevaluate what is good for me. And, and um, I know this sounds general, but it really it is general because it's very individual. Um, for me, it has been stepping back and realizing that I was posturing for so long um, so that I could fit a mold that wasn't necessarily me. Um, I want to be a principal dancer. Um, I want to dance princely roles, but that doesn't mean I have to be the tall white person. I can be myself and whatever that means. So it took, you know, um, all these crises and and being pushed in this direction and being questioned and being, you know, microaggressions and all these things coming at me to kind of step back and be like, I need to find peace in myself. I have to find what really draws me to dancing because I'm losing it. Um, And I have to find happiness so that I can continue to live a balanced life. Well, Gabe Stone Shale, the artist, the pioneer, I um, I um, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you said today, and um, it's just been an absolute honor to sit down and chat to you. And I should let you get back to the beach. So <laughs> <laughs> looking at the beach, I can't go on it yet. Yeah, that's true. But you you still got a nice balcony to look at it from. True, true, I'm, true. I'm I'm going to be waiting for that photo of you in your robe on the balcony. Oh. It's coming. I don't know if it'll be a photo. It might be a video. It might be like a full, I'm, I'm going to get weird. I'm or it's the first day and I've already gotten weird. So I don't know where it's going to go, but it can only go weirder. Well, you're a producer and a director now. So just shoot a whole, shoot a whole film out there. (laughs) I don't know if I can fully dub myself that I can say that I've done those things. We'll see what it turns into. Awesome. Thank you so much, Gabe. Thank you.